The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. And welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous of the law might be, righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, I wish that were true all the time. Amen. I wish it was true that we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But that's not always true. But this is one of the great things. We are made that way by our salvation. We are made righteous through Christ. We are made holy through Christ. It is because Christ is righteous and because Christ is holy that I, in the sight of God, am also righteous and holy. Don't ever forget that. It's not by our works, but by his. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would Strengthen us now and fill us with your spirit. We pray that you would instruct us and teach us. And Lord, that we would learn to, uh, to understand, fully understand, and appreciate the relationship we have with you through Christ. Bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
In these passages of scripture that we just read, Paul is expounding upon our relationship to God. He, he started out by making a distinction between the two natures that are within each of us who are born again. That being the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. Understand that I'm saved today, but I still have the same flesh. And I must, I must live with that flesh until God redeems my body and, 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 and receives it into his own glory. So we, we have a battle every day. We, we fight a war every day between these two natures. All of you know this is true. We wake up every day and, I, and our flesh wants to do one thing, but our spirit leads us to do another. And, and we struggle back and forth all day long. Sometimes we, sometimes we, we, we give to the, give into the spirit and, and sometimes we don't. But that's the battle we face. But I'm not going to focus on that today. I'm not going to invest too much time discussing this. Rather, I'm going to focus on the emphasis of the second part of this passage. That of the relationship we have with God in Christ Jesus. We read it in verses 14 through 17. We saw there in verse 14, for instance, if you look at it, he said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, look at that, sons of God. He calls us sons. Sons of God. In verse 15, he, he, attrib- he attributes this to our adoption in Christ. Now, we all un- understand what adoption is, right? Uh, when you, my, I had an aunt and uncle who, who, who could not have children, so they, they, they adopted a, a little girl. They adopted a daughter. And by, by going through that adoption process, that, that young girl became theirs, just as if she had been born to them. So we're adopted. In verse 16, he calls us children of God. And in verse 17, he declares that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now we, again, we, he uses these words so we can understand. We all understand what a joint heir is, right? A joint heir shares in everything. So everything that Christ has, we are joint heirs with Christ. We, listen, we struggle and fight in this life for a little bit recognition. And for a little bit wealth, and for a little bit possession, we'll 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 struggle and we'll we'll strive for it. We'll we'll fight for it. We'll criticize people. We'll we'll backbite people. We'll do everything we can just for those little bitty morsels. But yet we are joint heirs. Think about this: we are joint heirs with Christ. You possess everything that Christ possesses. That's a wonderful thing. These are truly great and wonderful promises and benefits of our salvation. We can live our daily lives with the assurance that we are children of God. And that as his children, we are heirs of glory with Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, it's a very special relationship that we have with the Father. Creation doesn't have this relationship with the Father. For all of creation will be destroyed. 
Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. The angels in heaven do not share this relationship with the Father. For salvation is not offered to the angels. The lost souls of humanity do not share this relationship with the Father. Though they like to say that we're all God's children, we're not. All of mankind is not God's children. In Matthew 7.23, we read, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. So we're not all God's children. All the world is not God's children. All creation is not going to be redeemed by the Father. Angels are not. They do not share this unique relationship that you and I do with, with, with God. They are not considered joint heirs in Christ. But we that are of the election, we have been given the spirit of adoption, whereby we can say, Abba, Father. Now this is a term of endearment. It's like saying daddy. Huh? Each of you here, you have earthly parents and you have certain liberties concerning the relationship you have with your mother and father. Listen to what John Gill has to say concerning the term, the phrase Abba Father. He says, the word Abba is added for explanation's sake and to express the vehemency of the affection and the freedom and liberty which belongs to children. You know, my daddy was a very kind and compassionate man. But he loved me and my brother and sisters more than he did the neighborhood children. Now, he loved the neighborhood children. He would never harm any of them. But there was a very special relationship between myself and my siblings and our father. It signifies the unique liberty the child has with the father. Our only comparison is that of our own relationship between our parents. And you know, sadly, this is why so many people today don't understand and don't value this relationship with the Heavenly Father because they have such a poor relationship with their earthly parents. As a As a father of children, it's my responsibility that I treat my children so that in in our relationship, they can see the father. Now, with the time that I have this morning, and I want to be brief, with the time that I have, I'd like to examine three components of this relationship we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. My coworkers, my people that work under me, they know my, they know that I I'm a Bible believing man. They know that I that I serve the Lord and, and and things like that. And they're often coming to me to ask me questions about spiritual things. And and you know I'm not surprised, I'm not shocked that 
the world doesn't understand what we're talking about today. That doesn't confuse me. But it does shock me, and I am confused, when people who claim to be children of God don't understand their relationship with the Father. And so I'd like to take a look at these components that that are a part of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. So number one, I'd like for us to see the sufficiency in Christ. See our sufficiency in Christ. Turn together to Philippians chapter 4. Let's all flip over there. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read one verse. I'm going to refer to the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read the one verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this is one of the misunderstood verses in Scripture. One of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. Uh, and, and that's because in our, in our English vernacular, there are a couple of key little words left out that would help you and I understand the implication of this verse better. The best paraphrasing of this verse so that we can get the proper understanding of what it's saying is this. I can do all things that Christ wills me to do. I can do all things that the Father desires that I do through Christ. Because I can't do all things. And neither can you. We can't do it. We can't do all things. I've said it before. You would not want me performing open heart surgery on you. You know, you wouldn't want to lay there and look you in the eyes and say, don't worry, Christ will strengthen me. Okay, put him out. (laughs) I can't do that. That's, That's ridiculous to think I can do that. But you know what I can do? I can be a good husband. I can be a good husband because that's God's will for me. I can be a good parent. I can be a good father. I can be a good church member. I can be a good servant to Christ. I I can be faithful and, and dependable on my job. I can do all the things that God desires me to do through Christ Jesus. I can't do them in my own power. I can't do them in my own strength. But I can do them through Jesus Christ. That's the relationship I have with Christ. It's a a relationship of sufficiency. It's all I need. Whatever we may face, whether it it be abasement, to to suffer indignity, to to suffer contempt, or or to go through hardships, to go through distress, to, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be cold, nakedness, peril, all these things... If that's God's will for me, then I can do them. I can do them through Christ who will strengthen me. Conversely, I can can live in abundance. I can be esteemed and and I can enjoy plenty. I I can exercise influence for good. I can do these things also. But I can't do them because I'm somebody special. I can do them because of Christ that strengthens me. He tells us in in Philippians chapter 4 to to be content with such things as we have. Contentment. Boy, that's that's a wonderful thing to have contentment. 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen discontented people be driven to bankruptcy. I've seen them I've seen them divorce their families. I've I've seen so many horrible things happen simply because they weren't content. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> yeah, you know, before before we had all the media we have today, people didn't even know they were they were underprivileged. Did they? They just woke up in the morning and, oh boy, we're, we're, we're so happy. And then you turn the TV on and, oh, I want that. I, I, I wish I had that. I'm entitled to have that. And they became discontent. Huh? <laughs> Contentment's a wonderful thing. We can be content. And the reason we can be content is this, is Christ is all we need. When you get to the point, when you get to the place in life when Christ is all you have, then you'll realize that Christ is all you need. You don't need anything else. God has promised to provide all my needs. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I tell you, I, I, I could stay right here for an hour. In the last, my wife and I have been married for 41 years. I've been in the ministry for 40 of those 41. And I tell you, I, I have just, she and I talk about this often. The way that God has provided for us through the years. There is no explanation for it. No explanation. This is a little, little materialistic story, but let me, let me just share it with you to show you how much God concerns himself with his children. Um, we, were, we were running a little school, my wife and I, and, and I, didn't have, I virtually had no salary. I mean, it was practically nothing. So we had to live on just the bare essentials. You know, we'd go to the grocery store and we'd look at the steaks and put them down and go grab the ground meat, you know. We couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't be very extravagant. And one of the things we couldn't afford was fish. Now, Louisiana people love fish. You, you got to realize that. I mean, fish is everything. I, you, you come to my house, there'll always be fish in the freezer. Always. But we couldn't afford to buy any fish, so... On the way home, I stopped by my dad's house and I got, I got my fishing pole and I went in the backyard and dug up a few worms and we went and sat down by the bayou and we started fishing and we fished and we fished and we fished and we fished and we didn't catch any fish. Didn't catch any fish at all. So we got in the car to drive home and she was just looking out the window. She said, boy, I wish we could have caught some fish. When we pulled up in our driveway, my neighbor came running over. I, I thought something was wrong at first. And I put my window down. He said, hey, do you guys like fish? I said, yeah, we like fish. He said, you like catfish? I said, oh, man, we love catfish. He said, someone just came by and gave me 100 pounds of catfish. And my family doesn't like fish. He said, would you like that fish? 
And I humbly said, yes, we'll take the fish. <laughs> and like I said, that's a little bit materialistic, but, but I, I'm going to tell you, God has, God has been so good to us through, throughout the last 40 years. Time after time after time, we'd, we, we'd sit there and say, what are we going to do? And we would always come to the conclusion, we don't have to worry about it because God's going to take care of it. God supplies our needs. Listen, your relationship with the Father is one of sufficiency. He supplies your needs. And sometimes his answer is no because you don't need it. Hmm? Sometimes you don't need what you think you want. And so God says no. You're not going to have it. God, Christ is all we need. I have no need of fear or worry. I'm sufficient in and with Christ. And this is not by my merit. It is because of my relationship with God. The Abba Father. Ours is a relationship of trust, honor, and deep abiding love. Not grounded on my part. Rather founded upon his sovereign will and righteousness. Ephesians 1.4 According as he, God, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. Holy and without blame. That's not, that's not me, is it? And that's not you either in the flesh. But that is us in Christ Jesus, for we are made righteousness through him. 1 John 4, 9. We love him because he first loved us. Today, see your sufficiency in Christ. This sufficiency you possess through the relationship we have with the Lord. Live your life through him and live your life for him. But then, when examining our relationship with the Father, not only do we see the sufficiency we have in Christ... But I secondly want you to consider your stability through Christ. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read one verse. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. We read here, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The therefore of, of verse fifty eight is Paul's conclusion of the argument. He gives in the preceding verses in chapter 15. Paul recounts the resurrection of Christ and and gives the proofs needed to address the doubts and fears of the believers at Corinth. Their faith had been shaken by, by those who hate and reject the gospel. And this has caused them to become unstable in their faith. James chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, 
A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Instability or being unstable, what, what is it? Well, he's confused in his mind and restless in his thoughts. It's when he is unsettled in his purpose. That's so important. That's a, that's a great word, purpose. We're to live our life according to God's will and purpose. Not our own. His. An unstable man is uncertain in his opinions. Hmm? Well, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I have people all the time come to me at work and say, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Boy, lately it's all been about Russia. What do you think about Russia? What's going to happen with Russia? What's going on? And I'll tell them this. You know what I'm doing today? I'm looking toward the eastern sky. Because when Russia and China become a world threat, you better start looking for the Lord. Because he's not far off. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. I'm looking to the eastern sky. And they go, what? Well, you need to read your Bible and understand what I'm talking about. The unstable man is corrupted in his actions, doing things they ought not be doing. Doing things that should not be named among children of God. The unstable man is wavering in his doctrines and beliefs. Like children tossed to and fro in the wind. This week they believe this. Next week they go hear another guy say something. They believe that. They're unstable. They have no stability. The unstable man is inconsistent in his prayer life. Oh, prayer is so important. Prayer is is our communication with the Father. And that is so important. And we have the word of God to overcome this instability. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We can overcome instability by studying and knowing the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, I find three things that produce stability in a person's life. Of course, there's many more than this, I'm sure. But I, I, I want to cite three things that will, that will create stability in our life. First one, number one, letter A, is confidence. Confidence helps to produce stability. Paul declared that his knowledge of God and his relationship with God gave him the confidence to believe in him. And we cannot have this knowledge without proving God in our life. I'd like for you to turn with me to First Timothy chapter, oh, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. And we begin at verse 6. 
Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul had confidence. And this confidence made him stable in his faith. But then confidence will always lead to courage. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua 1.9 Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. <laughs> Knowledge of truth gives us great confidence, and our confidence makes us bold and courageous, and we go forth without fear. First John chapter 4 and verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. <laughs> Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, we have confidence. And that confidence gives us courage. It gives us boldness. It it, it gives us the determination to resist the flesh. And to resist the world. And to go forward in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to... um Romans chapter 8, just for a moment. Romans chapter 8. And we're going we're gonna to begin reading at verse number 37. <coughs> Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing in this world strong enough to defeat God. 
There's nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing in this world or this life that can take away the faith given me by the Holy Spirit. So confidence leads to courage. Then courage leads to commitment. Commitment. I need you to turn again with me. We need to go to John. Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6, verse 67 Let me set the stage here. Of course, Jesus had just fed the multitudes and he preached a message to them. And when he preached the message, they left. They they were there for the free meal. They didn't didn't want the, the doctrine. They just wanted the meal. And when he gave them the doctrine, they said, oh, no meal's worth this. I'm leaving. And they left. So look at verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. You know, Peter was known for saying very stupid things, but he said some, he said some pretty intelligent things right there. Amen. Yeah. He said, well, where, where, who else are we going to go to? You have the words of life. You, you, you're, you're, you're the Christ. Commitment. All these things, confidence, courage, and commitment, make us stable in our faith and in our walk for Christ. Don't be afraid to commit. Don't, don't be afraid to commit your life to, to, to worshiping God. Don't, don't be afraid to commit your life to serving him. In whatever way you can. Now I I realize everyone in this room. uh, Maybe maybe you can't come up here and do this. But you can come to church. And you can can, uh, worship. And you can sing. And and you can help out when we have work days. And you can do all the things you can do. And you can be a witness to your friends. To the people in your community. Commitment. Commit commit to to this thing. We have sufficiency in Christ. We have stability through Christ. But then number three, we need to learn to rest upon our security with Christ. We have security in Christ. We have sufficiency. Christ is all we need. We have stability. Nothing can overcome him. And we have security. Now we got to turn again. We got to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to begin at verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The second epistle, epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up uh, your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment uh, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation." 
For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now this again is one of those misquoted scriptures. We understand and we all know that God's will is done, right? Nothing can prevent the will of God. So if God is not willing that any man should, should perish, but that all should come into repentance, then no man would perish. And all men would come to repentance. But that is not what is being said here. What's being said here is that the Lord is not willing that any of his chosen elect children should perish without receiving Christ. That's a security for me, and that's a security for you. We are that important to God that he will not forsake us. He will not leave us behind. What makes our relationship with the Father so unique from that of all others? It is the assurance that we have in our relationship with him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and through 39, let's go back there. Romans chapter 8. You know your Bible real well when we're done today. Beginning at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And verse 38 and 39 we read already, but we'll read them again. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, uh, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The unsaved man has no assurance of his future. He has no surety in his hope. But our hope is sure. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, we we read, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have in an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in 
into that within the veil. An anchor. We, we have security. Our hope is not hope at all. Our hope is surety. Jesus is coming again. And he will take us home with him. Didn't Jesus say, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house is many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Did he not say, I go now to prepare a place for you, and where I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself? Tell me, is Jesus a liar? Because if all of those things he he said are not true, then he's a liar. And as a liar, he can't be our savior. Because he would still be in his own sin. So we have, a, we have security in our relationship with Christ. We have this hope. Because we know that our redemption is secure. We can be secure in our relationship with the Father. <laughs> and we can say, Abba, Father. What a joy that is. You know, I haven't, I haven't been everything I wanted to be the last 40 years. I've had, I've had weak times. I've had, I've had moments and times when I haven't pleased the Father. But, you know, just like the prodigal son, God was always ready to receive me back. And to take me back into his arms. Abba, Father. That's what we have. That's the relationship that you and I have. Now, you know, I didn't tell you anything today you didn't already know. We're not going to walk out of here and you're not going to go off and say, Boy, I learned some great thing today I never knew before. No, we knew all this. But you know one thing about us. One thing about humans is we forget. They're very forgetful people. You know that? That's why history always repeats itself, because we forget. We become complacent, comfortable, and we forget. So I'm just trying to remind us of some things today. But one thing for sure Each one of us, every day, need to work on our relationship with the Father. And make sure that it's everything it should be. Because if we let too many days go by, it's going to be all over. See, this pandemic, it destabilized a lot of people, didn't it? Yeah, our churches across the nation today are are shells of what they were. Because people forget. I praise the Lord for God's love for me. Because uh I was a I was a 
I was a sinner headed for hell, just like all of us were. But God wouldn't let me get away from him. (laughs) I tried. I tried to get away, but he wouldn't let me. He kept throwing people in front of me that would give me the gospel. He kept putting people in front of me and, and, and faithful servants that would tell me about Christ. Until one day he broke down that whole hardened exterior and he saved a wretched sinner like me. Praise the Lord for that. And from that day till now, I, I just keep saying, Abba, Father. Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best child you got. And I've messed up a lot of things. Would you help me? Would you, would you help me help me put things right in my life? That's all. That's 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 what God wants. He wants that relationship with you and me. He doesn't want that with the angels because they don't get it, and he doesn't want it with his creation because he created that for us. He wants it with you and me, his children. He wants he wants that relationship. So let's do what we can to further that relationship. Let's pray. Father, we are so unworthy. We are so unworthy of your love and your grace. The blessings that you pour out upon us. The way that you concern yourselves with our lives. The way you provide for us and all these things. We're so unworthy. But, Lord, we do come to you today and we say, Abba, Father. Daddy, Daddy, strengthen me, I pray. Bless me. Not for my own sake, but for your purpose and your will. Be with us today as we conclude this service. And I pray you'd you'd strengthen us. Help us to live for you as we should. Again, we pray for the pastor that you would strengthen him and Watch over him and and Pam. And we just praise you for all these things. And we, we, we desire to glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.